This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as ever, plenty to get our teeth stuck into, but unfortunately, nothing particularly tasty, quite bitter, quite disappointing. Pointing and another underwhelming performance at Goodison uh, on Thursday night as the Blues salvaged a point against relegation-threatened Villa. So we will be talking about that. We'll also take stock and look back at how performances, why performances have fallen off a cliff after the first three games of the restart when we all sat here and were encouraged by what we were seeing. We will have talk uh, talk transfers. Uh, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, uh, very much seems to be picking up a bit of pace. The Blues are in discussions with Southampton, so we'll get the lads' thoughts on him. And also on the performance and generally the future for young Jared Branthwaite, who came on again uh, on Thursday night and looked very good indeed. Um, Preno, 1-1. One, one, um, one shot on target at home to the team with the Second worst defensive record in the Premier League. I think it's actually the worst away record defensively in the Premier League. Um, why? Right, okay, positives. Otherwise, we'll just end up doing a repeat of what we did uh, earlier in the week, uh, going over the Wolves game. Um, positives, the tempo for 10 or 15 minutes was bright and uh, you know, it looked a little bit more aggressive and intense. Jared Branthwaite uh, introduced earlier than he probably would have expected and looked composed and looked a good footballer as well as a good defender. I know it's very, very early, uh, but, you know, there was a positive, certainly. And Andre Gomez, despite not being able to pass water for uh, an hour of the game, uh, produced a very, very good assist late in the game, suggesting that maybe if he's, you know, utilised higher up the pitch a bit more frequently, that could be beneficial. But I'm clutching at straws a little bit because overall it was a deeply uninspiring and disappointing performance again. After that bright start, it did just seem to get stuck in a bit of a rut. Uh, Couldn't maintain that intensity. And for me, quite crucially, couldn't create anything significant in the final third. Villa defended narrowly, allowed Everton to cross the ball. Uh, but the quality of the crosses and the quality of the runs in the box was poor. The number of times I saw two or three great crosses go in in the second half, and Calvert-Lewin almost like caught on his heels a little bit, uh, you know, so quite slow to get there, frustrated me. Uh, so all in all, I think it underlined, the again, the scale of the job that, um, that Carlo Ancelotti has, not just in inspiring and, you know, sort of motivating these players, but in adding to the squad to add that requisite quality. Because for me, the big problem was a lack of quality in the final third. Villa defended well. Everson didn't have the quality to break them down. And that, that's a major problem that we'll need addressing. I know there's lots of problems that need addressing at the club at the moment. Uh, but certainly an inability to create in the final third was the, the major part of why we only had one shot on target over 90 minutes against the, the worst you know, sort of travel you know, sick team in the Premier League. Uh, Adam, I'll, I'll come to you after Gav because obviously um, you were at the game with me. Gav, um, did you see any um, any sort of reaction, or did you see enough of reaction? We were almost promised a reaction after the defeat at Wolves. Did you see one? Sort of reaction for twenty minutes. Twenty minutes, I think. A um, bit more tempo, bit more purpose about the team. 
Uh, and then it sort of dissipated in there after the after the drinks break in the, in the first half. Um, so I think it was better than at Wolves. Um, but but for, for me, I just think we're playing too deep. You know, we, 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 we're setting up with the defence, I think. We're probably playing 20 yards further back on the pitch than what we should be playing. You look at the last sort of 10 minutes of that game last night, you know Villa sat back a little bit, but you just look better playing further up the pitch for me and, and we're, we're too spread out, you know, 4-4-2, four, four, there's too many gaps to exploit, not compact enough. I'd like to see us playing further up the pitch and imposing our game on, on the opposition team, which you quite patently haven't done in any of the seven matches, apart from maybe the base against Leicester perhaps. You've not, we've not done and that match been disappointing. Do you think, sorry, Gav, just to stay with you, it's an interesting point. Do you think, and look, as, as Carlo said on Sunday, we're not looking for excuses here, but I just wonder, do you think maybe the players are concerned that their fitness levels are not where they should be? Are they concerned about fatigue to play high up for fear of being, you know, turned over on a, on a quick transition and, and done over the over the top? And Yeah, I, I get that completely. And let's face it, I know we've been poor, but there's been a lot of poor, poor performance teams, as well, poor performances, yeah. poor games. I get that, but I think there's probably a compromise, and I think we're still we're still sort of more towards being too deep. You know, I think okay, yeah, we could play sort of Barcelona like sort of 2010, 11. Uh, I get that completely, um, but and and you are right to a degree. But I just think we're just we're just too too spread out. Should be playing a bit further pitch. I'll be, as you say, we don't want to be sort of, you know, running around like headless chickens and having to track back and stuff. But yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, but we're still too deep for me. He perhaps perhaps falls into the uh, belief, certainly belief from me that we are among the slowest uh, squads in the Premier League. But anyway, um, Adam, um, what were your feelings at full time last night? You know, after. A, you know, a, a rally towards the end after the equaliser. Um, was it a case of it that simply papering over the cracks, or did you find any any uh, reason for encouragement? Uh, yeah, I think it probably was papering over the cracks. To be honest, uh, I think the fact you know, as the lads have rightly said, I think we started much better than we did in any of the last three games. And to be honest, that that fills me with a bit more dread to, <laughs> because I, I just don't understand why that dropped off at all. Like, was it? Was it the absence of fight again that Carlo Ancelotti had mentioned after the Wolves game? In in many respects, this is just as bad, if not worse, than the Wolves game because of the position that Aston Villa are in. Now, I know that they've got a lot to fight for and obviously they're fighting for their lives in the Premier League at the minute. But at the end of the day, they're down at the bottom of the Premier League for a reason. They are one of the worst teams in the Premier League this season, especially on the road, as you've quite rightly said earlier on. And the fact that they've managed to come to Goodison Park not really be troubled throughout the entire game. Actually, look the better team after the after the halftime break. Come out and I'd say probably deservedly taking the lead. Maybe should have went two 0 up as well with that uh, El Ghazi yeah. missing a sitter. Definitely should, yeah. Well, yeah, they just that just came just a few minutes before we actually equalised. And to be honest, I think a lot of fans were probably surprised when we actually did equalise. You know, good ball in from Gomez and a really good header from Walcott, who I think actually did improve us when he came on. Mm. So, yeah, maybe there's positives to look at in terms of, obviously, as Preno said, Branthwaite was a big positive and then 
I think the other substitutes later in the game, I thought Walcott did quite well. I thought Gilfie Sigurdsson was tidy enough when he came on as well. And he nearly he nearly won the game with a deflected shot that went just past the post as well. So, you know, there are perhaps slight positives to take out of it, but it, it's just all round really, really disappointing. And especially seeing as Carlo Ancelotti was saying that he wanted to see a reaction from his players after that Wolves game. I, I really don't think, you know, a 10 or 15 minute spell a home to Villa where you don't really score or even have a shot on target really qualifies for that. I think this is just a continuation of the poor form, really. And, you know, we're running out of games this season to try and put that to an end. Yeah, because, I mean, you you are right, Adam, saying that Villa, of course, have got something really and had something really tangible to play for. But I think perhaps where the difficulty for, for supporters watching last night would have been, well, actually, they would say every one of our players had something to fight for, given how... how abject it was against Wolves and how stinging the criticism had been from uh, from the manager. Um, Preno, let's let's just sort of roll back a little bit. We sat here on the, on this podcast after th- after three games of the restart, uh, a, a very deserved draw against Liverpool could have won it, uh, ground out a victory against Norwich and beat top four Leicester um, with you know good performance in the first half and then real dogged resilience in the second. Why have the performances because? You know, you can expect, you know, our season has been disappointing and, and results up and down. So I think, you know, to necessarily expect that we would go on an unbeaten run uh, for the nine games was perhaps unrealistic. But performance levels have dropped off so significantly in the in the following four games. Um, what What is the reason? Are the players tired? Is it mental fragility? What, what, what's, what's your take on, on what's happened? I think there's a number of factors at play here. I think we have to look at the uh, the circumstances of those three results that you're talking about. And I don't want to put too much of a negative spin on this, but Liverpool was the first game back after the break. Both teams were, you know, struggling to find any kind of like sort of tempo. So a draw was probably the expected result in that game. Norwich wasn't a great performance, to be honest, but, you know, so it grounded it out and got the win. And then Leicester, I was on the edge of my seat second half. I mean, it was uh, it, you know, arguably got away with it in that one. So you could say that the players haven't really got going ever since the restart. And there could be a number of factors for this. I mean, I'm not going to embarrass the guy by, by naming him here, but I bumped into an Everson player earlier this week and was speaking to him about you know how things had been on the pitch. And he you know, was very, very honest. And he spoke about uh, you know how poor the performances had been. But without looking for excuses, said that it feels like pre-season. The fact that there's no uh, fans inside the stadium, the fact that uh, they're only allowed, I think it's 15 minutes physiotherapy time, uh, they're not allowed to use the cryotherapy chambers. Um, it sort of like compromises their professionalism. Now, you know, that's not an excuse because you could point the finger at Southampton and say, well, hang on, Southampton have just beaten Manchester City and drawn at Old Trafford in exactly the same circumstances. So you also have to suggest that a number of the players in that squad don't have the right attitude and don't have the right mental ability to be able to cope with these circumstances. But it def- definitely contributes the fact that they're running out in empty stadia. And we know what Goodison can do to a player's mindset, positively and negatively. Uh, but, you know, as things might have been different, you know, with crowds being in this, we have to take that into into account. But for me, I think the overriding factor is that the group of players that we have assembled here at the moment isn't like Preston Football Club. Uh, too many of them aren't of the right mental attitude. Too many need changing. And uh, that, that's a job that Carlo Ancelotti has to do. He has to identify which players aren't going to do it consistently for him and replace them with players who are. And I think that is the the overriding reason as to why we've been seeing such flat performances since the return. 
Gav, um, Carlo, the one of the most experienced managers in world football, you know, probably the most experienced manager in the Premier League at the moment. He's 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 wise enough to have realised this was a significant job on his hands. But do you think the last four games have opened his eyes further? Do you think he now looks at this as a harder, more difficult job than it was when he took over in December? Don't give me the hard questions, don't you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to skip the good answers? You're the most qualified man. Don't know the tap in there, you know. Uh, You're going to feel dog doing all the work. He's, he's, he's got all... He's obviously got insights. To, years. Yeah, you get insights from former Everton players, you know, because yeah. he, you know, but... Uh, Current Emerson players, I, by the way. I, I would like to think that yeah. Carlo pretty much identified the weaknesses in the squad pretty early on, as I say, he's an experienced manager. Um, and that, and I don't think he's learned, I'd like to think he's not learned much about the team since we come back. Uh, maybe, as you say, how they've reacted to adverse circumstances, whatever you would call it, unusual circumstances. Perhaps he's learned a little bit more, but he, he would have known the sense of weaknesses of each player and their mentality, I would imagine, pretty, pretty early on. Um, and so I'd like to, when, if you've been a manager in any level, not just football, you can, if you go into an office and stuff, you can pretty well figure people out quite early on, you know. Um, I suspect the, I suspect the, you knew certainly before the, the, the lockdown who were the ones who were good and who were the ones who were not. You know, uh, what he's been doing since is just doing an amended match, uh, mixing match, sorry. Um, not helped by the fact that obviously he had a few injuries as well. Mm. Which, which is in itself. I suppose the one thing he's learned is can players play in other positions that they're not. Mm. It does feel like he's been trying to so, test the players, doesn't it? Yeah, basically? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose, I suppose his personalities and stuff and, and their core skills. No, you'll know, you know about that already. I think what what he's doing is testing whether people can play in other positions than their sort of usual position. So you've got a will be playing wide right, haven't you? Yeah, you've had uh, we had a couple of games where we've had wing backs, haven't we? Uh, We've we've played three at the back. We've had the you know midfield uh, six and playing centre mid that type of stuff. Um, you know, so there's been three or four instances where players not played in their usual position. So I'm supposed to learn something there. But in terms of their overall performance levels and attitudes, I think you would have well well established them early on. Mm. Um, look, um, Ad, you know, last night's was you know. Performance was collective failings, collective lack of, of quality. But two players I wrote about in particular, and, and I know you didn't give them um, particularly high ratings and justifiably so, uh, were the two starting wingers. Um, I was surprised that they were given starting places um, after sort of pretty anonymous cameos um, against Wolves. Um, what what do you think Carlo's kind of thinking was playing Iwobi and Bernard from the start instead of Gordon and instead of uh, Walcott? I mean, you've got to think it's just given them a chance to go from the start of the game. As I said, you know, Aston Villa do have something to play for, but they are one of the worst teams in the league. And these are the, the type of games where you expect them, the likes of Iwobi and Bernard to be able to create chances for the two players up front. So I think it was maybe a challenge from Carlo to just say, right, go out there, uh, Go and create us some chances. Maybe score us some goals. Help us beat these. Help us beat this team. And I think the most frustrating thing for me was that 
you know, Bernard did start quite well, I thought. I thought he was dropping off into a, into some good spaces in between uh, the Aston Villa lines. He was coming central quite a lot in that sense, and he was picking the ball up. He had a few little nice touches here and there. He was opening up a lot of space for Luca Dean to get down that flank. And then, you know, just like the rest of the Everton team, after that first, like, 10, 15 minutes, it just all went downhill. Suddenly, he couldn't, he couldn't control the ball properly. Suddenly, was, his passes were wayward and... You know, that kind of continued for the rest of the match. And then Alex Iwobi, I think he was fairly anonymous for the majority of the time that he was on the pitch again. He had that one shot in the first half where he uh, hit it over the bar on his left foot from just outside the box. And I think maybe perhaps his most disappointing moments came probably a couple of minutes before he was uh, eventually taken off when he tr- had two attempts to try and get the ball into the box uh, in quick succession and hit the man on both both occasions. And... Now, that's just not what Everton need from their wingers at the minute. You know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, God love them, they're putting in all the same amount of energy up front, but they're just not getting the same amount of service that they were getting before lockdown. And I think a lot of it is down to the fact that we're just not getting down the flanks as, 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 well, as, we, as well as we had been. I don't think that's down to the full-backs. I think Seamus Coleman and Luca Dean are still getting up and supporting as much as they can, but you know, they need players in front of them who are going to be who are going to allow them to to do that properly. And I just don't think Bernard and Iwobi did that at all, really, yesterday. I think, you know, Gordon and Walcott eventually replaced the pair of them. And I think they stamped their authority on the game a lot more. I think Gordon, mm-hmm. he, he was maybe quiet going forwards, but I think in a defensive sense, he looked uh, very good on the left-hand side. And obviously, Walcott changed the game uh, a little bit, really, and, you know, got the... Uh, got the goal, which is, you know, what we want to see from our wingers at the end of the day. So it's just really, it, it must be really frustrating for Ancelotti because I, I do think he was just setting the challenge to Bernard and Alex Iwobi there, you know, just go out there and impress us against a side that we should be beating at home and uh, he couldn't do it. Speaking of the strikers, Preno, um, we know, we know that their um, work ethic and the energy and effort they will offer to the team, you know, can cannot be faulted. You know, come rain or shine, they will literally put their bodies on the line, give everything they possibly can. Do you share my concerns that Calvert Loon looks like he's running on empty and has been running on empty for a couple of games? 100%. Uh, I mentioned earlier on about uh, slightly late runs into the box, not late in a good way, but late, you know, so after the cross has fizzed across the box. But the thing that concerns me most is the he has had half chances or better than half chances uh, in a number of the games since the comeback. And he hasn't looked like scoring the, the far post header at Norwich, which was tricky, but, you know, so it should have done better with Southampton. But that was a very, very good chance that, you know, so again, he didn't connect properly with. And then the one um, against Villa, which it was almost like he was a bit too eager. He just connected with the ball a fraction too early. If he'd have been a little bit more composed and a sat back on it, he could have just tucked it inside the post now, that is possibly a young player who's beginning to feel the weight of pressure building on his shoulders and snatching a little bit of chances. And he's snatching because he's not getting a great deal of service, as Adam said. I mean, that's three chances I've mentioned in the space of how many games is it now? Five games, six games, which is very, very slim pickings for any kind of striker to try and feed off. So you can understand why he's you know, finding it difficult at the moment. And the work rate is absolutely you know, 100% every time. 
But it's having to be because there's nobody else really that you can bring in and play in that role and play effectively without changing the shape of the team entirely. So unfortunately, he is going to have to carry on, you know, sort of plodding away remorselessly for the next couple of games and feeding off scraps. It's not going to do his, uh, his confidence any good, unfortunately. But, you know, maybe he will learn from this, this period, from this moment. But no, he does look, a, you know, from what you say, he does look a, a very different player to the one that, you know, pre-lockdown, you know, when he was uh, getting on the end of chances and scoring goals quite consistently. Uh, he's finding life tough at the moment. And I just hope he can learn from this period. Gav, um, Crown talking about, you know, the confidence of, of Dominic Calvert-Lewin perhaps not being as, as high as it was. Um what about the confidence of Moyes Keane? His manager has backed him from the word go, talked him up, but he won't give him a start, even in games where there's not anything... Well, there is things on the table, prize money, etc., per position, but in yeah. the sense of chasing Europe, that's gone now. Um, how does he get in the team? Um, well, show more, show more on the pitch when he's sub for the start. Okay. Which he quite patently hasn't. I mean, I'm not sure how many minutes he's had since he's been in the last seven games, but I mean, I would hazard a guess he's, he's sort of got on. Has he got on pretty quite a few of the games at some point? Mm. And yeah. he just hasn't looked. He hasn't looked at any points as, as um, you know, was part of the game. He's looked like a fish out of water. And that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing to say is hopefully you don't see them train and what they like in training and, and so on. So Carlo's obviously not seen much in the week to say, uh, I, you know, I can justify your starting, you know, the weekend or midweek, um, which I think has contributed to the fact that we've been forced to play with Charleston and, and uh, Dominic every game. Whereas, you know, you see the way both of them are played. Both of them look as out there. Um, a little ragged at the moment. Mm. If you had somebody who could come in and, and place, not necessarily like would like to place, but will play similar style to which Moyes can. Uh, the fact that he's not even getting a game in those circumstances is, is slightly worrying for the lad, to be honest with you, um, and slightly worrying for the supporters. Considering that you know, obviously, it was thirty million or whatever you would like to call the fee that was paid up front for him. So yeah, I am worried. Uh, both in terms of the last couple of games and, and where we are this, at the moment. But as we know, next season starts in whenever, six weeks, eight weeks' time. Um, will he be getting a game then? I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the lad, uh, to be honest with you. He's shown yeah, nothing to me. To, to in, be in, fair, in the, the, the fact that... The fact that I never even mentioned him when you said, you know, uh, a viable replacement for Calvert-Lewin underlines how little impact he's made. Um, yeah, I mean, totally endorses what Gavin's just said there. Uh, it, it's a concern because we just haven't seen anything from him. Uh, let's, in let's, look, the, the, for, for a bit of balance, what, what can you do if you're Moise Keane coming on for half an hour against Wolves in a performance that's bordering on pathetic from the team? What can you do in half an hour or whatever it was last night? Again, the team not creating, um, not playing well. Is he being thrown into difficult situations for, for a 20-year-old 20, 20 striker? Yeah, you can caveat everything by the fact that he's a young man who's in a foreign country who's still trying to find his way in a different you know, sort of environment. But he's a footballer. And, you know, th th that's his job and he's there to create an impact on the pitch. And clearly, there's some quality there because, you know, you don't get caps for Italy without being, you know, sort of a decent striker. Uh, you don't end up at a club like Juventus if you've not, you know, you know sort of got some kind of quality. 
but we just haven't seen enough of it. Um, I want to see an impact. To me, you know, if you've gotten half an hour on the pitch as a striker, you can charge around, you can press defenders, you can have a couple of shots. I know he had a shot yesterday. Uh, arguably should have played. Was it Walcott in? You know, rather than actually having that shot, awareness of the bigger picture. That's, that's a big problem for me. Awareness doesn't hold the ball up great. And, uh, and when he does, his awareness of the pitcher around him is not great. But you just want to see an impact. You just want to see him, you know, do something when he comes on that makes you think, yeah, that's an improvement. Or that, that's changed things a little. And we haven't really seen that at all on any of the cameos, really. Um, I know he scored the one goal against Newcastle. Anfield, you know, he, he was brought on and, you know, sort of missed a great chance when he was clean through there. It's just, so there are a number of disappointing moments you can think of and not many positive moments. And I know that sounds very, very harsh on a young footballer who's you know, sort of still very, very new uh, to the area. And I know other people at the football club do think very highly of him and do think that there is a lot of raw material that they can hone. But to me, we're just not seeing any kind of end product anytime soon. And maybe the close season can't come quickly enough for him, you know, to try and, you know, start again and try and, uh, you know, sort of pick up a few things on the training ground. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Moving on, um, albeit slightly, as um, would Pierre-Emile Hoiberg have made uh, our performance any better last night? Mm. To be honest, I think if he had dragged Peter Reid out of retirement, they say you can stuff him in there. I think he would have made an improvement, to be honest. Hey, I, play, I, played in, I played in a game with Reedy a few years ago, and let me tell you, he dictated the game with ease. <laughs> Proves my point. Uh, yeah, yeah, 100%. I think uh, I was speaking to someone about this uh, last night, and yeah, I think Andre Gomez and Tom Davis, have obvi- they're obviously players with a lot of quality, but I just don't think they're suited to the 4-4-2 system. Uh, that we're trying to do, like I think I've said it on the podcast last week, uh, it just p- places a lot of responsibility on both attacking and defending in this sort of system. And I just don't think Davis and Gomez have necessarily got the capabilities to be able to be back and forth doing both for the for an entire 90 minutes, certainly not in this post-lockdown era that we're living in, which, which you know, it, it's going to be the case that a lot of players are going to be fatigued. But I think Hoiberg actually fits into that mould a hell of a lot better. I think he's much more defensively minded, which is key. You know, we've been missing that since Idrissa Guy uh, left and since uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamon unfortunately suffered his, uh, his pain of long-term injuries. So I think just having somebody in the middle of the pitch who's just not afraid to throw in a tackle is going to be is going to be absolutely massive for us. And then even then, when he p- picks up the ball from what I've seen of him, uh, at Southampton, he's confident enough to carry the ball forward. He's confident enough to play passes uh, into the final third as well. So it's not as if he's just an out-and-out defensive midfielder either. So I think in terms of like a four-four-two midfielder, I think he kind of fits the mould perfectly. Certainly in a, uh, in a much better sense than uh, the likes of Gomez and Davis and you know maybe Gilfie Sigurdsson do. So yeah, I think if we if we'd have had him yesterday, I think it would have been a huge huge improvement. Gav, um, look, a, a long way to go, and we may not land Hoyberg, but can you see why Ancelotti is such an admirer of him? Uh, absolutely. Um, I can see why he's an admirer of him if he wants to carry on playing 4 4 2, which I assume he does. Uh, my suspicions here that is that I think he's obviously hoping that Gabbana will come back. Mm. Um, 
in a four-four-two, you want somebody who'll just sit in front of the back four um, and not really move from there to be a defensive shield. And you want somebody who's a bit more mobile, who'll move further up the pitch, throwing in tackles and you know, put stringing, you know, put into the front men a few few passes in the final third. Uh, I suspect maybe at this stage he sees them as his front, you know, middle two next season. Yeah. And so, in terms, if you're going to play Cabana, which we assume that he may be back sooner rather than later, um, but we've heard that before, haven't we? Um, mm-hmm. You suspect that the new, the new proposed signing or rumoured signing, however you uh, put it, will, will be an ideal partner. You know, the only thing I'd say within that is we have Loch Holberg's goals record. It's not great, is it? Mm. And we've got we've got um, again it re-emphasizes that even in four four two we have two new players it re-emphasizes the need that our wires would need goals. Um, yes. But to me, um, from a tactical perspective, it makes sense if Carlo is going to carry on playing four four two with Kabamen or somebody similar as the other partner. Yeah, Prenner, what are your thoughts on uh, Hoiberg? I have to be completely honest here and say, you know, not a player who catches the eye always when you watch Southampton play, which is a good thing probably because of the, the way in which he, he plays. But, you know, I've done probably what most of us have done and, you know, so I looked at his, uh, his stats uh, during his time at Southampton and they're impressive. Um, this season, I think he's made 80 tackles, um, which when you think that our highest, you know, sort of tackle or tackle of the season was Gilfie Sigurdsson with 46. Mm-hmm. As, wow. You know, so... Uh, <clears throat> Is a step in the right direction. He's won 49 of them. He's actually won more tackles than Gilfie Sigurdsson has made. Uh, and I know Gilfie Sigurdsson isn't necessarily, you know, an out-and-out central midfielder, which is possibly an argument for that one. But as well as making those tackles, I think his forward passes, he's made 667 forward passes this season. Now, again, if you contrast that to some of the Everson players, our highest forward passes are Gilfie Sigurdsson, again, with 304. So it's more than double that. Um the other players, I mean, Gomez, Schneidlin, obvious reasons why their count is low because they haven't played for you know an awful lot of this season. But Tom Davis, who's played a fair bit, he's only made 284. So, you know, he does sound like a man who can break up things and play positive, penetrating passes forward, which is what we need. Um, it's, you know, that, this is all presupposing, of course, that we actually sign the player as well, because obviously, you know, there is interest elsewhere uh, in his signature, which is possibly a good thing. Uh, but yeah, it does fit the bill as a, a sensible signing. I mean, too many of the players that we've bought uh, in recent years have not been, you know, sensible signings really, in that we've spent an awful lot of money uh, on potential. Whereas this is a guy who's proven he can deliver in the Premier League, and it's not a prohibitive transfer fee. It's not one of those you're going to be looking at, you know, sort of two years down the line and say, "Wow, you know, we overpaid on that one," as we have, as we are doing currently with some of the players in the squad at the moment. It's it's a conservative transfer fee, but I don't think it's a conservative potential signing. I think it's quite a quite a promising signing if it happens. Phil, can I, can I, Phil, can I just add another point there? The other thing on this, he's twenty four, isn't he? So he's at the right yeah, age. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 20, 25 in August, I think. I think that's yeah. what I, yeah. So, oh, yeah, he fits the profile. So, in terms of, yeah. you know, do we feel like we're getting a, you know, if it isn't Hoiberg, but do we feel like we've now got a better idea in terms of clues and there's a bit more meat on the bone in terms of what certainly what Carlo is looking for and, and, and therefore the club um, add in terms of it feels like it's. You know, we suspected as much, but we were working off that phrase "energy" that Carlo had used. Mm. It feels it feels now that it's it's a box to box 
number eight almost, isn't it, that we're after? Yeah, and I, I don't think you'll find many Everton fans arguing with that, to be honest. It's, mm. you know, like the lads have said, uh, I think it's it's really good to see Everton being linked with somebody who's so good at, you know, breaking up play uh, from opponents and then being progressive and positive enough to try and get us up the pitch because if, if anything, if the last four games have taught us anything, it's that uh, we've massively struggled to do that on a consistent basis. So, yeah, I, I think it. I think it's extremely positive that we're seeing Carlo look for a player in this sort of profile because you know, that's exactly what we need in this in this position. And you know, we've obviously got a lot of other positions in the squad that we'll need addressing if if uh, if we're if we're looking for players who will fit the mould like like uh, like this one would. Then I think uh, I think we could be in for a, a decent summer. Fingers crossed. Preno, you know, hopefully. Carlo and Marcel can 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 work their magic and, and, and bring in Hoiberg or another of, of that of that type. Um, and as Gav uh, rightly mentions, you know, it looks or appears that four four two would be the certainly the, the, the sort of mainstay formation. So who who will be um, sitting uncomfortably? This morning, on the back of the news that you know Everton are really sort of ramping up this this pursuit of another midfielder, which midfielder currently in the squad do you think might be thinking, "I there's no place for me if we go and sign Hoiberg or or another. I'm just not going to play." So to be honest, I was thinking more about the players in the wide positions. Uh, what we would do there? I mean, I know it's being said that we need a player, you know, with pace who can play wide on the right uh, and add a bit more goals output. Um, and you know, Bernard would be the one player I think that is certainly, you know, worried looking over his shoulder. Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson, I still think there's a role for him at the club, despite all the question marks that have been, you know, sort of put up this season. For a start, we're going to struggle to get rid of him, you know, so sort of mm. given how much money he cost and, you know, so sort of given his salary. Uh, and the impact he had last season playing in a different role, I still think there's a possibility, he's got quality. I still think we can see something from him, maybe in a different position, maybe in a wider position again. But to answer the question you actually asked me, um, <laughs> Andre Gomez, I, I like, I just think there's still a possible role for him in a more advanced position up the pitch. And I hate to say this because of his, his relative youth, but Tom Davis has been at the club now. He's played 100 games. And, you know, how often have we seen him, you know, sort of impact a match, you know, significantly this season and I think he's probably a player that would be the mo- most concerned because uh, he has had a bit of a run recently uh, I think he'd certainly be concerned about his long-term prospects um, you know it sounds harsh and I hate myself saying this because you know he's one of our own he's a young scouser he's you know um, he, he's made he's captain the club but you know it, it's a results business you know and if you're not producing often enough on the pitch you know, you've got to fear for your first team future and you know I think that could be a man uh, who could be concerned about how many more opportunities he's going to get going forward. Okay. Um, speaking of young players, um, Jared Branthwaite, Gav, uh, came on to replace uh, Mason Holgate uh, early on um, at Goodison, having come off the bench at halftime at Wolves. Uh, somewhat of a baptism of fire against Wolves, obviously gave away a free kick and lost out on the headers for Wolves. Second goal within a minute of coming on. But last night... First touch, I think was was a, I think it was a, it was a perfectly weighted pass. I think his second was a, a a towering header at the back post. He had a very very good game, didn't he? He did. Um, I was really impressed by him. <laughs> I said that I said on uh, social media last night. It was like watching a, 
a young Terry Butcher um, <laughs> wow. rolling around the Goodison. Which, which <laughs> Pedro will recall that. Goodison is where Terry Butcher made his debut, uh, right. didn't he? Yeah. Uh, it, it does remind me a little bit. I don't want to say he's going to win in 77 England caps and captain England the World Cup semi-final. But in, t- in terms of build and style and left force and stuff like this, it does remind me a little bit of young, te- young Terry Butcher. Um, and I thought he was excellent last night. I can only echo your thoughts, Phil. Uh, I, what, what, the two things that I was impressed, I think, we always say, don't you? If you come on early in the game as a substitute, it's a peculiar challenge to you because you have a mindset that you're going to be on maybe, if I'm lucky, the second half. If you're a central defender, you may not get, a tour, get on at all, might you? So yes. to come on at that point, it, it's like it, you're not prepared for. It. In some respects, your mindset's not ready for it on the bench, is it? You know. Uh, so that that was the first thing. The second thing, I thought, you know, probably a couple of times it was a bit too tight to people, and he gave a couple of fouls away. But there's one where he gave a foul away, and he was still moaning at the referee about something yes. later, wasn't he? Which I, you know, that's the type of thing we want our Everton players to do, don't we? <laughs> and, and it shows shows it a little bit of confidence. I, I thought he was really good um, last night. You know, let's face it, you're playing, those you respect him, playing Aston Villa, you're not playing uh, Manchester United's front three at the moment, are you? Um, but in terms of he was up against the circumstances, well, I had to go to for it anyway a little bit. Uh, I thought he did remarkably well, especially after, as you say, a baptism of fire on uh, on Sunday, which which appears on face values to do more, more good than harm to him if last night's mm. anything to go by. So uh, well played to the lads. Yeah, and I'd, I, as Gav mentioned, he didn't seem, I, I did not come across at all affected by that um, difficult first minute uh, against against Wolves because you know I think it's gone under the radar a little bit. But they actually played well thereafter against Wolves and and, and mm-hmm. just just sort of fitted in seamlessly uh, last night. Yeah, I mean, I think his in his first minute in this match, he had that a uh, sort of crunching aerial challenge with Tyrone Mings as mm-hmm. a. As Villa pumped the ball into the box, there's nothing quite like that to try and introduce it back into a Premier League match. I think he absolutely really impressed me. And I think what maybe surprised me a little bit, it was how good physically he was. You know, he's he's absolutely massive. He's, yeah. he's probably double, he's probably double my size. He's only just turned 18. He's he might he may even be taller than Gav. I've not ever <laughs> <to verify this. laughs> he looks he looks like he's he might be taller than Michael Keane. Like, well, wow. I've seen pictures of them standing next to each other, and I think I don't know whether it's just like maybe the way they stand them, but it looks like Branthwaite's taller, which is just you know. And I think he used his size, you know, quite well throughout. As you know, as Gav says, he did get tight uh, to strike it on a couple of occasions. and gave a couple of free kicks away, but you know, if that's going to be your only downside to your performance, then you've done really, really well. Uh, it will it will have been a, a pressure situation for him to walk it, especially. Uh, replacing Mason Holgate, who's been so good for Everton this season. And in that first 15 minutes, you could see the Holgate was trying to be that leader figure from the back again. He was organising the defence. He was trying to organise those in front of him as well, constantly shouting in those 15 minutes that he was on the pitch. So to lose that and have an 18-year-old step into that position instead will have been a really interesting dynamic change for you know not just him, but for the whole back four as well. And I think he did really well with it. I think... He was really good with the ball at his feet, which you know I'm not I'm not necessarily all that surprised with because haven't seen him in the under 23s. I did expect him to to be like that, but to have the confidence to be able to show off that in a Premier League game, only your second Premier League game as well, uh, that's absolutely huge. And then 
his post-match interview already also really impressed me. Like he's he's so so mature, speaks so well, uh, he's so confident in himself, but he realizes that he's got a lot to learn as well, which is you know all that we all that we want to see. You know, I think Ancelotti said to said himself that he's a great player, but we can't put too much pressure on him yet, and I think that's absolutely spot on. Saying that though, I probably would start him. Uh, even if Yeri Mina was fit, I'd probably start him uh, in the next game against Sheffield United. I think he's, I think he's done well enough, and he's earned his place. Mm-hmm. Prenner, would you would you feel comfortable with with Jared starting at Bramall Lane on Monday now, given Mina, as it stands, remains injured, and and, and our understanding is that the club had, had not been overly keen to rush him back, uh, and obviously Mason Holgate, we, we believe, will probably miss the final two games of the season. Obviously, Carlo doesn't have much choice, but yeah. are you comfortable with seeing his name on, on the team sheet? Uh, yeah, 100%. Exactly what Adam said there. Um, you know, and cliche alert coming up here. But, you know, so he, if he's ready for first team football for next season, he could save us some money in the transfer market and could actually allow those funds to be diverted into other areas of the pitch. You know, we went into this season with only three, you know, first choice centre halves. Um, if he has, if his progression has accelerated to such a degree that we feel he could become that fourth centre back for next season, well, great. That means we can look elsewhere. I know it's very, very early days, and basing this on the space of you know, sort of two half performances, uh, but which is why I think he should start against Sheffield United uh, from the start, you know, to see how he does against the team. Let's face it; are going to be very, very committed after the savaging hmm. that their manager just gave them uh, after their performance yeah. at Leicester. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to see a reaction from them. Uh, so, you know, how can he handle that? And then I play him in the last game as well against Bournemouth. You know, let's just see how things go. Um, we've seen it before at the end of seasons where, you know, players have come in briefly. Kieran Dowell was one and then never really kicked on. So, you know, let, let's see if he can actually, you know, sort of do it over two or three games. And if so, yeah, maybe it does give Carlo Ancelotti, you know, sort of a nice little you know, boost ahead of his uh, recruitment plans for next season. But yeah, I liked everything I saw from him. Like I said at the very start, I like the fact that he looks a good footballer as well as a mm. good defender. And I know there's miles and miles and miles of improvement still to come. But, you know, so far so good. Let's see how he can do it from the start now against Sheffield United. Yeah, well, it certainly feels like being a good footballer, obviously, I know it sounds obvious, but it does feel like Carlo is, is insistent that we're going to start playing out from the back more and, 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 and there is that going to be that demand on the... Uh, on the defenders who, who come to the football club and and play for the football club. Ad, um, Preno mentioned Chris Wilder's post-match interview. They they obviously lost to uh, Leicester City last night. Um, I've obviously watched it. Can you get, can you give the listeners who haven't seen it a flavour of, of of what he said? Because it was quite it was quite stunning, really, in, in his uh, in his in how candid he was. Yeah, it was quite mesmerising to be honest. I I, I just mm. couldn't help. I couldn't help watching the, the whole, I think it's a whole six, six and a half minutes of Chris Wilder just absolutely slamming his players for their performance against Leicester. He was saying that, you know, they, they all tried to play as individuals. They all, they, they, he's, he, he, he said there, he, he said, I, I don't think the thick players, uh, <laughs> they, if they all, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, nice for your manager to say, of course. Yeah. But uh, he was saying, oh, they're, they're, all, they're all on the ball when they want to, come and discuss contracts and days off with me but uh, in, yeah. in in this match they they just didn't show they didn't show any of the fight or anything that I wanted to see and then you know later on in the interview it, get, it gets a bit uh, expletive ridden shall, shall, shall we say but and didn't he also say, sorry didn't he also say these are league one in championship players playing in the Premier League 
Yeah, yeah. He said if if you want to if you want to go and do do things by yourself, you're League One and uh, Championship players playing in the Premier League, and you're just going to get beaten like that, which is you know quite quite astonishing. Con- considering they're still right in the in the fight for Europe, like it's it's amazing to see him come out and slam his players in mm. in such a fashion. And uh, to be honest, I, I, when I first saw that interview, I did forget who who they were playing next, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I did think to myself, oh, I'd, I'd hate to be. I think to be playing them next because they're going to get a definite, definite reaction and then I realised, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gav, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the video, but you've obviously been given a, fl- a flavour of it there. I mean, on, yeah. a seri- on a serious note, you know, you can see you see why people have got a lot of time for Chris Wilder and, and, and that is an indi- indication of the standards he's trying to uphold and probably yeah. indicative of why Sheffield United with resources, as he alludes to individually, that uh, uh, steps below this level are having an incredibly good season. Yeah, I, I really like him as a manager and, a, and as a person. Uh, I would said they've had conversations about this. I'm not the only person to say is that, you know, if the England job came became vacant and he was up for it, uh, I think he'd make a brilliant England manager. Mm. Uh, I think he'd have the right people skills. He'd see the bigger picture. I think he'd. Uh, I think he'd be a great manager for England. Um, you'd want to play for him, wouldn't you? I think he'd yeah. know how to handle top players as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Maybe not the result yesterday was not the one we want really going into Monday's game. I've got a question for Trent. Trent, oh, by the way, about Monday's game. Dave, when was the last time you won a both Sheffield crowns at the same season? I'll give you the clue. It was, it was wow. one of your favourite one of your favourite campaigns. I know for a fact. Well, by that you must mean seventy-seven, seventy-eight. But yeah. uh, I, I, I can't remember Sheffield Wednesday being in the top flight then. Oh, League Cup, League Cup, three League one. Cup, yeah. yeah, yeah. Be, yeah. Be both of them in the League Cup, so we can uh, yeah. we can we can repeat the feat this season. You know, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Be a tough game on Monday. I think mm. um, we'll we'll, um, we'll I'd, I'd like to see Brantway playing both games um, and. Uh, I think that, I think Sheffield United will be up for it. Oh, yeah, yeah we'll, just much more we'll, weather we are, you know. Will we we'll see uh, yeah, a proper think, reaction? Yeah, we will see a proper reaction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, we got <laughs> two. You know, we had one off uh, the players had one off Carlo. I think last week didn't we on Sunday? Yeah. They just had one. Big time. Yeah, no. T- two angry managers. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, before we uh, before we wrap up, then customary predictions time. Uh, Prano, I'll start with you. Sheffield United versus Everton Football Club Monday, six o'clock, Bramall Lane. Uh, what's your thoughts on the score? My heart says a one-all draw. My head says a disappointing defeat, a two-one defeat. And I've never predicted a defeat on one of these uh, podcasts before, but I just can't see enough spirit, attitude, and intensity in that squad at the moment. So let's go with the heart. Let's go with the one-all draw. It's as good as you're going to get from me. As I will refuse to predict anything but a win. So <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna go for us grinding out somehow a 1-0 win. Yeah, yeah. Gav? Uh, yeah, I mean, just say, I think it's relevant to the, 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 the uh, forecast from Monday. Defensively, we've given, we've given sticks to lots of people, haven't we? But we've not really mentioned defence, apart from like a sort of few aberrations on Sunday, which we had an unusual defensive setup anyway. In the, in the other six games, we pretty much defended really well, haven't we? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. we've, we've looked pretty solid. 
Um, so we're obviously going to get beef four nil now, you know. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think I think I, I can't see anything but a tight similar game to what we've seen so far in most of the matches, apart from the Wolves game, where it's going to be nip and tuck and sort of both teams will be in the game. Uh, to be honest with you, yeah, and I, I'm going to I'm going to do my normal bottle out job and go for one all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I think it's a, it's a sensible one. I uh, I fear I'm going to drive uh, halfway across the country to watch a nil-nil. But you know, given it's against <laughs> Sheffield United, and given, and given our recent form, it's not the worst result, is it? Really? But yeah, uh, yeah. there we go. Let's let's hope for victory. Let's hope Adam's correct, and there is a, there is an away win because they don't come around very often. Uh, chaps, thank you very much for your company. Uh, excellent as always, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back uh, Monday. The guys will be back Monday, but of course, um, no, not Monday. Sorry, it'll be Tuesday, won't it? Because the game is Monday night. So, uh, potting again Tuesday in the aftermath of the Sheffield United game. Uh, stay with us across the weekend, and of course, Monday night I'll be there in Sheffield. And uh, stay with us for all the best news, views, and analysis. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.